like to know about my pigeon, Mark Wahlberg? Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hi, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that has been bringing you and me a lot of joy for a full year now. The Rasafari Podcast. That's right, y'all. It's officially the season one finale of the Rasafari Podcast. Well, kind of. Don't worry, Zoo News is still coming on Thursday, and that will actually be the last episode of this season. But it's kind of hard to make a big deal about Zoo News. I love it. I think it's great. But it's just, you know, me reporting what's going on in the world of zoos and conservation. So, um, yeah, this one feels like the big last interview and all kinds of cool stuff that happens in it is is really nice. And And so this is the way I'm looking at it is that this is the season finale. This is the end. And then you guys know I'm a big Marvel movies nerd. Uh, and the, the, then Thursday's episode, Zoo News, is going to be the post credit scene. And then we'll be back on Tuesday to launch season two. So I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about what that means here because I put out a bonus episode a couple weeks ago explaining that. If you haven't downloaded that yet, go ahead, take the time to listen to that. It'll uh, give you some cool teasers from season two interviews that I've done already and also tell you what you can expect in season two. Uh, But today is all about wrapping up season one in a really special way. I am bringing you an interview that I have wanted to do since before this podcast began. I'm speaking to Jamie Delk, who is a keeper at Woodland Park Zoo and has also become a really good friend of mine over the last year and a half. I don't know if any of you remember this, but um, there used to be a world without a raging global pandemic stopping travel and touring and all that kind of stuff. And Jamie and I met in the moments when that world came to an end, right before COVID came into all of our lives. I I don't want to spoil too much of what's in the interview, but I will tell you that that connection is one of the reasons that this podcast is happening. And um, there's just a lot to the story that I'm, I'm looking forward to you all hearing during the actual interview. And, and this is a lengthy interview. I think this is going to be my longest episode of the entire season because we just have so much to talk about. Whether it is her dog or, and yes, you're going to want to hear that dog story, uh, or zoo animals. Um, we talk about nocturnal animals, sloths, a pigeon with a really funny name, tapir, jaguar, poodoo, gorillas, so many more animals, and, of course, red pandas. It's There's just a ton here. Also, and if this name doesn't mean anything to you, it will after the interview, but uh, we're going to talk about Carson the Red Panda both the red panda and the human behind it. And that's one of the things I love about having Jamie on as my last guest for season one. 
it, it really ties everything together in a lot of ways. Not only have I been pursuing this interview since before the podcast launched, and now here it is, but also... Carson the Red Panda is another reason that this podcast exists. We also talk about Red Panda Network, Elmwood Park Zoo, the Cincinnati Zoo, Paul Reinhardt, Sarah Glass, Isla or Illa or Ela, we'll see, up at the Toronto Zoo and a connection with Lisa Termini. And all of these names should sound really familiar to you because they are all people and places that have played a major role in season one. So again, sticking with that whole, you know, Marvel connection, this is my Avengers movie. It ties it all together and everything happens and I hulk out and no, no, okay. Now I'm just being a nerd. But seriously, I'm really, really excited to bring this interview to you all. So a couple of quick reminders. Patreon, which is getting a major facelift for season two, is the way that you can support the pod monthly. Just go to patreon.com slash rossafari and uh, you can sign up there. If you'd like to make a one-time donation because recurring isn't doable, you can Venmo me at rossafari. And of course, make sure you're following along on all the social medias at rossafari, except for TikTok, which is at rossafaripod, because when I announced I was making a TikTok, somebody went and snagged the rossafari handle. Huh, weird. Anyway, here are some words from our sponsors, and then we'll get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, it's time. Here is my interview with Jamie Delk, zookeeper at Woodland Park Zoo, personal friend, and the pooper hero. All right, so tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. Hi, I am Jamie Delk. I am an animal keeper at Woodland Park Zoo. And that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you kind of answered the second and third all at once. Good job. Mm -hmm. Good job. All right. Very, uh, very efficient, as many keepers tend to be. <laughs> that's my like how I open my keeper talks. Nice. Very cool. All right. So um, you are going to be, assuming that all the audio works out, my last guest for season one. Um, and one of the reasons I'm excited about that is that uh, you yourself are in the middle of a, a pretty big transition at work. And so we're going to talk about that and, and what that's like. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll get there. So first of all, I like to talk about, uh, you know, kind of kind of your journey a little bit. So um, in your case, we're going to do it a little differently. Okay. Jamie, tell me about your dating life. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm no. kidding. <laughs> it's non-existent. <laughs> I am the worst human. I'm sorry. Um, no, seriously, though, tell me about like what made you want to get into this career field and what path did you take schooling, all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah. So uh, I believe when I was just a wee little girl, um, my grandfather used to take me to the San Antonio Zoo and um, he was a he was a hunter and a photographer. So in his later in his life, he chose to shoot animals with a camera um, and had a great love for animals. So we spent a lot of time there. And I believe, you know, when I was like four or five, I kind of said, I want to be a movie star and I want to be a zookeeper at the San Antonio Zoo. So um, the two career paths that I, I kind of follow, I got my degree in film and video, um, but I ended up pursuing more of the animal side of things and went back to school for biology um, and started uh, volunteering at a little place in Asheville, North Carolina called the Western North Carolina Nature Center, which is my favorite place on earth. Um, and they're, so, they're one of the small places where if you volunteer, basically they give you some, or back when I did it, you got keys, you got a radio and you had like a unit that you worked. And I worked, um, I started taking care of their feeder mice and their nocturnal area as well as their raccoons. And, um, as I, I was there for about two years, uh, I did it two days a week. I kind of went and got to do bears sometimes and otters sometimes and kind of got to expand from there. Um, and then when I moved back to San Antonio, or sorry, when I moved back to Texas, um, I was lucky enough to get a job, my first paid job at the San Antonio Zoo. Nice. That's all like full circle and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, so when you were at this place in North Carolina, what kind of nocturnal animals were you working with? They had possum, skunk, and flying squirrel, and then the raccoons. And I took care of some of the raptors as well. So um, some rehab raptors that couldn't be released back into the wild. Um, at the time, they only had animals native to North Carolina. Um, I think now they've expanded to fossils that have been found in North Carolina. So they just got red pandas there. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. That's very exciting. We should we should talk about this yeah. off, off off air. I wanna I want to go to there and hang out with them. Yes. <laughs> and I'll be driving through North Carolina soon. So oh, you yeah. know, yeah, conversation worth having. Um Absolutely. and this is why it's good to have friends in the animal field. <laughs> <laughs> That's Absolutely. that's really cool though. Wow. Um yeah. yeah. So when you first said they they got into fossils that were found mm -hmm. there, I I didn't realize you meant like the live animals. And I was like, oh, a fossil collection. That's oh yeah. That's interesting for a zoo. But yeah, no, that that makes sense. Very cool. Yeah. It's super cool and a super cool way to expand um their their uh, animal collection. So at first they were kind of a bigger zoo and or I don't want to say bigger, they had more exotic animals there. And um, kind of when zoos got into more of conservation and stuff, they kind of scaled back to just animals in West, Western North Carolina. They have a red wolf breeding program there. Nice. I am obsessed with that whole thing. Right. Um, and they perform as the area's rehab center. So people bring their animals there. So that was another one of my duties was to set up the animals. Um, and then they had license, people that had been licensed to... Uh, rehab animals come and pick them up and rehab them at their home. Um, so occasionally we would get like a 
we got a serval at one point that was an illegal pet and we took care of that for a while. So that was Wow. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, horrible illegal pets, wildlife trade is bad, boo. Yes. But for you, awesome yeah. to get to work with a serval like that. <laughs> well, and also awesome for the serval. So um, Yes, absolutely. Got to got to extend its life. That doesn't always happen with those guys. So um, yeah. Very, very cool. And then, um, so you went to San Antonio and what yeah. did you do there? So I worked in the small mammal department, which was bears, cats, and primates. Um, the name of the units there at the time were the location of the zoo. So now it's mammals one, two, and three, but at the time it was large, small, and medium. Um, and I will, yeah, so I, uh, they rotate or when I worked there, they rotated every three months. So I got to get a whole lot of experience in a very little bit amount of time. So I got to learn first was bears. And when I was, when I was getting the job, I was like, please not bears, please not bears. Cause I'm terrified of grizzly bears and the way they run, um, their shaggy hair, the way it moves. And so when I interviewed, they were like, here's the bear unit. And then I got hired and I was like, please not bears first, please not bears first. And they're like, so first day you're going to learn the bear unit. Cause that's our hardest unit. And if you can't make it there, then you can't make it anywhere. And I was like, okay, now bears are one of my favorite animals. Of course, that's how that works. Right? Oh, always. Yeah. 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 Your fill builds or your fear builds up your passion. So I love bears. I, you know, I, I, I have to laugh a little bit because when I met the grizzly bears at Akron, I, um, they're very scary, which is why I was feeding them grapes so lovingly. Um, they're not very scary. I mean, don't get me wrong. They can be scary and they are very fierce animals, but, um, yeah, I, they're also really sweet and, and smart animals too. Yeah. Huge personality. They're a lot like dogs. Oh, huge. Yeah. They're a lot like dogs. They always remind me of dogs. Um, uh, definitely Andy and bears have a special place in my heart. Um, they're just the coolest. The cool man. Fair. I'll take that. Yeah, no, they're awesome. They're they're very cool. Um, so since you said the word dogs, we're gonna pause for a second because <laughs> I want you to tell everybody about your tripod. Oh, my tripod, Daphne. Daphne's so great. And and guess what? So she's coming on her year anniversary. So a year ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so a year ago. Um, my, she's a rescue. So 13 to 14 year old pit bull dog was diagnosed with osteosarcoma in her, um, gosh, I think it's her left front leg. And, um, I was given pretty much three options. And that was, she was in a lot of pain really fast. So it was either amputate the arm to get rid of the pain, um, treat it with radiation it's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Mm. Euthanasia was also an option for Daphne. However, I think just saying this really upset Jamie because she decided to drum on the table while saying it, which um, means you can't actually hear her say those words. Anyway, she decided not to do that. And uh, yeah, so back to the interview. We went on this huge journey of getting her arm amputated. Um, she has lots of arthritis in her back hips. and um, But luckily through 
some of the stuff at the zoo um, that we do with uh, laser and physical therapy, I knew the right people to call. And um, uh, she, it's actually, they were the ones that discovered it because we'd have been going for a year, but she gets her laser therapy and her physical therapy every week. And uh, we were able to make sure she could handle that load of just being a tripod. Um, and so, yeah, she got her arm amputated she did immunotherapy she did chemotherapy and uh yeah we're celebrating a year and uh, about two weeks of the the initial diagnosis which is great that is great that's also wow i mean we talked about it back then i can't believe that was a whole year ago it feels like not that i know no wow. it's been a whirlwind whirlwind of a year um but she's doing <laughs> great she, she doesn't walk very much on her own so i assist her a lot but luckily we have like a little suitcase kind of harness we put on her and we can tootle around she just likes to spend her time in the backyard sun dogging it up and yeah she's doing great well that is awesome to hear so um okay back back to zoo i just really like daphne so but back to zoo stuff this is a zoo podcast um so you are at San Antonio. You learn um, your mammal stuff. I uh, start off with mm-hmm. bears and take me from there. So I uh, visited Seattle and I had gone to the Woodland Park Zoo and probably like everybody else that's visited that zoo fell in love with it. It's fell so in good. Love with it. Just the exhibits, the, the thoughtfulness is just amazing. So I was like, I want to work at that zoo. So I packed up my stuff. I moved to Seattle and I started volunteering there. Because um, in my experience, it was, you know, you work hard, you show you're a hard worker, you'll get hired. It was a stupid idea, but I had no idea. <laughs> well, I appreciate your honesty. I, I was a and little it, shocked, but okay, that's. Uh... <laughs> it worked out for me. But it was really stupid because, as we know, the, the zoo field is highly competitive. And to get one zoo job is kind of amazing. To kind of throw that into the wind and try for a second one uh, without, you know, with a gap in that is, is uh, risky. But I, I took the risk. I moved up there. I volunteered. And the lovely people I volunteered for just promoted me from day one. Um, and they hired me in on as a temp about eight months after I started as a volunteer. So and what did you do for those eight months? I worked, oh, as a job? Yeah, like how did you live? Uh, volunteers don't get paid yeah. last time I checked. No, they, <laughs> they don't. Um, I worked at a um, animal, so I worked, um, oh, sorry, it's a, a cancer research place working with their animals um, and taking care of their animals while I volunteered. And, uh, yeah, it, that was it's a different kind of work, but it, it taught me a lot too. So I was, I'm thankful for my time doing that. Um, Makes sense. And, uh, and yeah, I've, I volunteered in the nocturnal department at Woodland Park Zoo. We no longer have a night house, but at the time we had a night house and a day house. And, uh, I got to work with some of the wonderful animals that I've worked with before and some new ones too. Anything super cool? I'm a particular fan of sloths and tamanduas. Yes. So I, uh, I, I worked with sloths and tamanduas 
a lot. Um, and then um, bats. I had not. I had worked with the small Mexican bats in San Antonio, but I had not worked with the larger um, flying foxes and um, Rodriguez bats. And then pygmy lorises. Nice. Oh, pygmy lorises are so adorable. Pygmy lorises are so adorable. So yeah, it was really cool. Solid. Uh, tell me, tell me about one of the animals. Either it can be a tamandua, a pygmy loris, whatever. But like, tell me about an individual that you worked with in the night house. So one of the my favorite animals to work with was uh, Nintas, our sloth, um, and she kind of had these messed up nails, so it was kind of hard for her to climb around. And I would climb up the tree, and she'd sniff me, sniff my wrist. And every time, and then she'd, I'd hand feed her. And so there was a large break when I got hired before I was trained back in the night house. But the first time I walked into the night nocturnal exhibit that she lived in, I heard. (laughs) She could smell me and she was like, my friend's here. (laughs) And so it was, it was a reunion and it was a happy one. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. It was sweet. I noticed that you you seem to like animals that are uh, on the struggle bus a little bit. <laughs> like <laughs> Jamie was drinking water when I said that, and it almost all came out of her mouth, y'all, and nose. That was. I wish we were doing video right now. <laughs> you have no idea. Would you like to know about my pigeon, Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, yes, I would. <laughs> so I. I have several medical cases in my house, but um, my most recent one is a pigeon named Mark Wahlberg because he's handsome, but he's a jerk. So, <laughs> um, so Mark has a, um, he, I, I have an aviary outside for him, so he has lots of room, um, but he has a dislocated wing and a heart condition. So twice a week, I get to give, or twice a day, excuse me, I get to shove bread balls down his throat to make sure he doesn't end up on his back dying of a heart problem. Oh my God. So yes, I do like animals and people, let's be honest, that have just a little bit of uniqueness about them. We could say brokenness. It's okay. Brokenness. And suddenly we're back to your dating life. No, I'm getting... <laughs> She almost lost her water again, y'all. <laughs> I'm a drummer. Oh I have gosh. good timing. What can I say? You do. <laughs> so, yes. Um, so, before this goes completely off the rails, um, mm-hmm. so then when you got this position at Woodland Park, you, you got mm-hmm. a, a temp position and then turned it into a full-time position, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, tell me. Just tell me. No, so I, I was very fortunate that I uh, got to work full time the entire my entire time as a temp, and I worked mainly at the Northern Trail nocturnal areas. But um, at first, but then I got trained over like twelve different units. So once again, a huge amount of experience and introduction to birds in Jamie's life, which I'm going to let you know. I highly suggest every keeper out there work with birds for some period of time. It will train you to be one of the most observant people in the world because they hide everything so well. Um, And I was very lucky to get trained on birds because my first, the first opportunity that I got um, a position offered to me was a bird position. 
So if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been qualified even for that job. So I was very fortunate. Um, and so for a year, I worked in the tropical rainforest um, as the bird keeper there. And uh, small Tweety birds, the hardest, the hardest. Um, but it was it was great. And the, the first moment I had to jump to mammals, I did. <laughs> <laughs> this is so amazing because, okay, for the last year, I have had so many keepers on that are bird keepers. And mm-hmm. none of them started out wanting to work with birds. And then every one of them was like, and then I worked with the birds and mm-hmm. I fell in love with the birds. And now I'm a crazy bird lady or I'm a bird mm-hmm. nerd. And you're like, I worked with birds. I worked with birds for a year and then I ran away. <laughs> they will break your heart, John. They will break your heart. <laughs> their lives, well, they're, they're, they're born and sometimes they're born and they die in the same day. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard job. And um, we always hear about the deaths of our, our big animals, right? You know, when a gorilla dies or when a lion dies, but the bird crews are constantly, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough life being a bird. And like I said, they hide those small things about them so carefully that even when they catch them, it's often too far gone. Um, so it's a hard life. And uh, it's a lot of stress. God bless all the bird keepers out there. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So when you had the chance to jump to mammals, what did you jump mm-hmm. to? Uh, a temporary position uh, and a temporary assignment, I should say. It wasn't going back to being a temp. Um, uh, opened at the, it was called the TOPS unit. So it was taper, ostrich, Cat my bird and Pattus monkey. Um, and yeah, and I did that for about a year. Um, and tapers, all those animals are amazing, but tapers, I had not had a lot of hoofstock experience. And um, so tapers were kind of my first, you know, they're kind of related to horses and, and rhinos and stuff. So they're, they're a different animal and they're very, shy and kind of sensitive and we had this baby that was big and oh so noses. When, when you had the baby there was it still like watermelon baby i missed the watermelon baby phase okay, but she was okay. yeah she was born with a iron deficiency she lives in denver now her name is ren we're just going to call her rennie because that's a much friendlier version of her name um and so they had to take blood on her to monitor her, her iron levels. And I think this is, she had iron level problems. So we'd have to go in with her and scratch her down. And she, her mom was Key Lang and Key Lang was the biggest taper like on record. So I remember the first time I walked in with Rennie, I was super nervous and I was kind of breathing hard. And that taper just was looking at me like, are you nuts? What are you? Calm down. Like, people do this to me all the time. Yeah, so we'd scratch her down. She'd lay down. She'd lift her leg, and she would let um, the vets come in and draw blood from her. And it was super cool. They trained it um, in her since she was tiny, since, like, she was a baby baby. So she was super used to it. That's really cool. Yeah. And she's since had lots of other babies. I don't know if you remember, like, 
oh, it was years ago, the video of the vet running in and giving the tape, the tape your baby CPR that had just been born. But that was Rennie's first baby. And she just didn't vet save the taper's life. Nice. That's very cool. Uh, what kind of taper are we talking about here? Malaysia. Okay, cool, cool. Malaysian tapers are really cool. I mean, they're all cool. I have not met a taper that I don't like yet. So, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, uh, and then when did you end up in the job, the job in which we met? So that happened. Uh, so the temporary assignment kind of, I think the economy crashed and uh, all of our part-time employees went to either full-time and so they started shifting people around the zoo, in which case my temporary assignment just kind of um, uh, happened to fall back into, I went back to a, my original team where I worked with birds. But a position became open because somebody got promoted into a lead spot um, on the Jaguar unit. So um, I, I, I advocated for myself for that position because that was a lot of animals in my background it was jaguars ocelots and tamarind monkeys at the time um and i felt very confident uh with those animals i and that was like i said some of my first background at san antonio zoo and i love 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 south american animals so um i was happy that i got that and over the years you know, I was, I was that jerk keeper that was like, I need more stuff to do. I'm not doing enough. Give me more animals to take care of. Um, and my bosses were really great at listening to me and just kind of expanded and grew. Um, it turned into jaguars, ocelots, and then a flamingo area. Um, so flamingos, screamers, some ducks, and then bum, 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 my first introduction to red pandas. Um, I got the breeding red pandas. Um, then we ended up uh, renovating one of our exhibits and getting cheetahs. And um, since I was the only person on our team that kind of worked with red code red animals um, that were mammals, um, I they decided to take the flamingos and the birds off my string and actually put the other red pandas and the cheetahs on my unit. And then... The cheetahs were just a temporary kind of exhibit um, for a year. So once they left, we got dun, 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 made wolves. So I had, oh, and I'm sorry, I totally forgot about my little deer that I took care of this whole time, my poodoo. Yes, um, poodoo are amazing. They are. So I had, in the end, jaguars, ocelots, poodoo, red panda, and made wolves. That was a really hard job. You mean Meaning, the really hard job that you got yourself by advocating for yourself and making it challenging for yourself, right? Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. When I say it's really hard, I mean because there's just too much cute. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Not uh, because it's actually really, really hard. I mean, it was a... It was a... Uh, busy unit, but uh, yeah, and it still is, but it, no, I just meant it's way too cute. Who do you, how do you free up your time after looking at a cute poodoo to looking at a cute red panda to training Maine wolves and it's then going over to the jaguars. It's hard, man. 
Yeah, no, that that's that's a tough life. And um, you know, one of my favorite things on this podcast is seeing all of the the small connections in the world and how how small the zoo world is. And um don't we have uh, uh some some connections with uh some jaguars and uh and and Elmwood Park? <gasps> you have my stinker. Yes. Uh, yes. So Elmwood Park, whoa, wonderful place. Um so yeah, uh and two 2013, my Jaguars had, well, I think it's 2012, my Jaguars had babies. And they had triplets. Uh, Funny fact, we don't often get to name the animals that we have babies. That goes to, uh, we we get to choose the names, but often like donors or public get to pick their names. So we always come up with like fake names for them. So... (laughs) Would you like to know our Jaguar's fake names? No. Oh, yes. So we had um, the male Jaguar was golden and beautiful and he ate all the time. And um, his dad's name was Junior. So we creatively called him Junior Junior. <laughs> um, and then we had Scooby-Doo. That's Inca. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because she ate so much. And her and Junior Junior would just fight, 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 fight. Um, and then we had Scrappy-Doo who would wait in the corner. She was tiny. She'd wait in the corner till everybody else had fallen asleep. And then she'd come and feed. She was our smart girl. Um, so they turned out to be Arizona, Kwan, and Inca, who Inca lives at the Elmwood Park Zoo and has gone on to have her own babies. Yes. Who have gone on to have their own babies. Um, and Inca has quite a, a story. And there's a reason why I say Elmwood Park Zoo is the best. Tell the story. The care. Oh, have you not heard this? Uh, so Inca. T- tell the story. We're talking to a lot of people here. I've heard yeah. the story, but I'm just okay. one of them. <laughs> um, Inca, um, we were actually preparing our male jaguar to get um, a tooth extraction the day that we, so they came in and they said uh, Inca almost died. She had a Similar tooth extraction, the same tooth, actually. Um, She had broken on a, I think, a water drinker or something. And they had to go. And uh, it was kind of like this perfect storm. uh, But she actually suffered from a aneurysm, I believe. And when they woke her up, I think she was in a seizure. And uh, they did amazing work with her. I think at one point uh, after they uh, woke her up, they had to, like, she was in like a squeeze and they would have to flip her so that she wouldn't get bed sores until she could gain the strength back to get up and walk. But the fact that she went on to have babies and um, after this, this huge event, an aneurysm is a huge event that it could have killed her. It was amazing that it didn't, but the care that they worked through her, um, I think they have her trained to do a full exam basically without the need for anesthesia because anytime she goes under anesthesia she'll go and have like the same symptoms as the aneurysm so they they use it very carefully with her um and yeah she's they've just given her such great care but the fact that she went on to have babies being healthy enough to have babies also i love the fact that they totally um when we get uh animals ready to ship out, we fill out a form, an animal data transfer form. And Inca was one of my hardest ones that I've ever had to write it up for because 
Inca had some uh, um, aggression with around food. So at three months old, not uh, she, I found her sitting in front of one of the windows, looking at a person and licking the window and then trying to dig. And I was like, ah, she knows we're food. <laughs> <laughs> um, she had to be separated from her brother and sister um, way before um, they actually had to be separated from each other because she became so food aggressive. She was extremely easy to train because of it, because she was so food motivated. And I ended up sending them a very um, obese cat because I kept her very high just to keep like everybody calm. Um, uh, Cause she, <laughs> yeah, she, she scared the heck out of her brother and sister when she got older. Um, and uh, so I was writing the ADT for uh, them and I, I just remember hearing when they picked her up that the, I think it was the director or something said, well, she certainly likes her food. And I was like, they get it. They get my Inca. <laughs> so they understood what I was trying to say. Um, but she's a, she's a, she's a great cat. Um, she really she looks is. Ex- she looks exactly like her dad. She's huge. Like her dad. Um, her mom's quite small and uh, she's great. Every morning I would walk into the Jaguar uh, holding area and I'd say, good morning. And Inka would just, meow, meow, meow. she would just be so excited to see me. And I've always wanted to go and visit her. Most time the cats hate me. Once they ship out, they're like, Ugh, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, but I always wondered if she would just, start vocalizing again for me but it's been eight years so she probably doesn't even remember <laughs> she might you you've got she a place might. to stay if you want to come say hi I'm i know just i need to yes I need to. absolutely she's a great cat absolutely she is and i don't know if it, did her you said that she looks just like her dad did her dad have the heart on the back her dad didn't um i do not think had the heart on the back and actually his coloration was a little different her his son really has kind of his dad's uh, golden coloration so her dad was actually a wild blood, has wild blood in him. So, I mean, they all do, but he actually came from Bolivia um, and uh, his parents were wild jaguars there. So they had gotcha. kind of have a one strike rule with them. And so his parents had been surrendered to the zoo for being in a public area. And uh, so his genetics are really important, but he has a different look about him because he's Bolivian. Bolivians kind of have... Um, this different look about them. Um, they have more square heads instead of round heads and huh. just a little, I like to call them like the pit bulls. They just kind of have a pit bull body. They're, <laughs> they're pretty cool. Um, but she definitely in the face looks a lot like her dad. That's cool. I was going to say, cause I don't know if you know this, but she had the two cubs, uh, Luna and Diego and um, Luna has the exact same heart. That's so cool. And it is so cool. So I meant to look it up before, um, but her name Inca actually means something to do with love. Um, Oh, cool. And so when she turned around and we saw that heart on her back, we were like, her name fits her. (laughs) It's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) That's so awesome. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting. 
interrupting John again. Oh, hey again, it's me. I uh, just wanted to let you know that Jamie did send me uh, the actual information about Inca's name, and it means love of life. So yeah, the heart that is on the back of her as, as one of her rosettes is, is pretty darn cool because she is a love of life and clearly one of the loves of Jamie's life and frankly, one of the loves of my life. Okay, back to the interview. She's great. Yeah, she's great. I, I'll tell her you say hi the next time I'm home. Absolutely. Um, and so then my entire, my entire audience is sitting here right now going, what the heck? Jamie mentioned red pandas. And you talked about Jaguars. Are you really John Rossi or is this an imposter? <laughs> um, but I just, I really love my Elmwood Park Zoo connections. I but was going to say. We need to talk pandas. As, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I want to tell the story. I know that you know it, but I want my listeners to know this um, about the day that we met and about mm-hmm. some of the impacts of the day that we met. Because I don't know that, that keepers always get to appreciate the impacts they have on people in, in big and small ways. And, um, so I was in Seattle playing a show as I do playing million dollar quartet and, um, had the day off before the show. And so my friend Megan and I came to Woodland Park Zoo and our original plan was to kind of try to race through the zoo and then run off and catch uh, another zoo or aquarium or something, which was the dumbest idea. Jamie is shaking her head and giving a thumbs down because Woodland Park Zoo is an all day. Actually, you could spend like a week comfortably there kind of zoo. It's it's amazing. So one of the big things about Woodland Park Zoo that most people who know animal Internet stuff uh, know about is Carson the Red Panda. And that is an account with a ton of followers um, that is is run by a, a very wonderful lady, uh, Carolyn, who does uh, used to live in the Seattle area, uh, doesn't actually anymore, but and would go and spend all this time volunteering at the zoo and just hanging out with Carson and taking good pictures and videos of Carson. And um, it was actually she was getting ready to leave the area when I got there. And so the original plan was we were hoping to meet up at the zoo. But unfortunately, she was packing and all of that, so we couldn't meet up. But she texted Jamie, let her know that that I was going to be there and that I'm like a good person. At the time, there was no podcast, but I was doing the Safari Instagram, had way fewer followers, but was trying to make it a thing and, and get into conservation education. And uh, so, so Jamie came out and was feeding Carson, and it was hilarious because I literally, I have met dozens of rock stars and i don't care they're just people who do what i do but more with more money but holy cow did i feel like i was meeting a rock star when i saw carson Carson. and also jamie because like jamie is just i mean jamie say what you will about yourself and i i know what you say about yourself but you know (laughs) that on that account you are treated as as the goddess oh, yeah. man i mean you're carson's best bud and and he loves you and um mm-hmm. and that cannot be bad for the old ego but um and so the way that this all worked out was was jamie was like hey uh what are you guys doing later and i was like well, i don't know why and she's like come back this afternoon and um and and we'll see if we can't get you to meet some of the pandas and so megan and i ended up spending the whole day at the zoo which 
was necessary. I think that would have happened anyway. But and we went back at like two or three p.m. or whatever. I remember I had actually thought that like we were getting to the point where we kind of needed to leave to make it to sound check, <laughs> but I was not going to miss this opportunity. I, I, I figured it would all work out. What are the odds that there would be bad traffic in a major city at rush hour and, and I would be late to my sound check, but Hey, red pandas. Um, and so we went back and we got to meet two of the pandas. And that was the first time that Megan had ever met pandas. And the first time that I ever got to have, an experience based on who I was and what I was doing. I had paid for a couple of red panda meet and greets before that, but this was the first time that I got to see what being in this community, it was the first time I felt like I was in the community and anyone who has listened to this podcast knows that is something I am so proud of and I'm so passionate about and, and means the world to me. Um, Interestingly, not only was that one of the things that gave me the courage to launch the podcast, and when I was starting to do this, Jamie was one of the people who I reached out to and said, would you be willing to be on this someday? And if she had said no, probably would not have done this, because if one of your friends won't do it, then who the heck else is going to do it? Um, so you owe her for this podcast existing. But it touched Megan's life so much that... Um, she has started something called Project Dragonfly, which you've heard about on here before. It's a master's program that can help you get into conservation and zookeeping stuff. And actually worked it out so that Woodland Park Zoo is her home zoo for that, even though it's half a country away. Megan lives in Texas. And um, she's there right now. She's actually hanging out with Carson right now. Or I guess the Cubs are on exhibit right now. But she's at the Red Panda yeah. exhibit right now, sending me pictures. And um, actually sending you pictures. She just told me she sent mm -hmm. you one, too. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, and she's hoping to get into zookeeping. And, like, it was a whole – this whole nice thing that you did was such a game changer for, for the both of us. And, and I just think that's really cool that you can have that kind of impact, you know? That's fantastic. That's amazing. And I don't, I don't think we often think about um, those experiences being so life-changing, even though we had similar experiences that were life-changing to us, you know, you know, we, we're a humble bunch. You are especially. It is a thing. Uh, I knew you, you were, you were hating every word that I said I just now. Can you, I can just like, I'm watching my face turn red <laughs> on that stupid camera. <laughs> so true. Um, but you know, it is, it is really cool to have that effect. And I will now stop embarrassing you and say, all right, so <laughs> let's talk about these pandas. Um, all right, let's you know, talk about let's, them. let's do it. So tell me about Carson. Carson is, well, he is the cutest thing on the planet. <laughs> Um, thank you, Lincoln Children's Zoo, for creating him um, and just making him the panda that he is. He is a super special guy. He was hand-raised with his sister, Willa, which is, I think she's at Chattanooga Zoo. Yeah, I think you I are think right. So. Yeah. so, and they kind of, they kind of became an internet sensation before he even came to me because there, there was tons of videos of them playing and being raised and just being... Ugh, cute as can be. Um, and that is how Carolyn fell in love with Carson is through that, that outreach that the Lincoln Children's Zoo kind of did. Um, and then she had created um, Carson's site, I think, right when he moved here. So her favorite panda was moving to Seattle where she lived. Um, 
And that's how I met Carolyn. She would come and she would spend a lot of time with uh, Carson. And Carson, despite being just a complete shining star, is actually quite a shy panda. Um, He, and often people, when they come to see the red pandas and want to meet a red panda, they want to meet him, but he's actually so shy that I don't hardly ever take people to meet him. Um, He can be, he was also hand raised, so he is very familiar with humans. So he either wants to be away from you or he wants to be right up in your business. And neither of those things are great um, when you're introducing them to a red panda that they want to actually interact with and meet. And uh, there comes in Yukiko. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yukiko. Anyway, so Carson, no, Carson's a great red panda and he's super smart. Um, yeah, I, you probably, if you've seen the account, you've probably seen all the like little training things that we do. And um, he's highly motivated. Um, he, is one of the few red pandas that I have met that actually will try different fruits. He is, it's a pain to like try to introduce a new fruit to a red panda. In fact, like Hazel came with her favorite fruit being banana and we don't feed banana that often. We do sometimes, but we feed uh, more apple and grape and we give banana as like enrichment and she just decided that she hated banana after she didn't get it every day. And I was like, dude, this used to be your favorite fruit. Come on, get on it. Really? Um, I remember uh, giving uh, raspberries to one of our red pandas, Stellar, and she, she loved food. So she'd eat it. And then she'd make like the most disgusting face and like flick her tongue out and be like, (laughs) I can't believe you just fed that to me. It's poison. Um, but Carson, like, you cut up a mango, you give it to him, he's like, cool, man, I'm eating that. Papaya, cool, man, I'm eating that. Anything. He'll try anything. He's like Mikey. Um, <laughs> he's our little Mikey. So The best part of that he, joke was not the joke. It was as soon as you realized you had just said it, the face <laughs> that you made. <laughs> Yeah, Carson, and Carson is an exceptionally cute red panda, and I'm so happy that he can be a face for red pandas because um, Carolyn is so great at uh, promoting conservation. You know, like if a kid's selling bracelets to raise conservation, it's on his site like that, and she's bought 20 of them. Um, She's just great at promoting conservation and using him to help promote such wonderful conservation out there, which uh, it's great. We can all look at red panda pictures every day, but if we're not giving uh, to the red panda network so that they can give to the people of Nepal so that the Nepal uh, can protect the red panda, then who cares if Carson's cute, right? Absolutely. Carson will be the last one if, uh, if we don't save them. Yeah. It's it's a thing. So, so he's a special dude. He is, he's just, um, his, he was very fond of his keeper at Lincoln Children's Zoo. And I, I've just noticed through getting to know him, he has one keeper that he's felt that way about. And so in quarantine, he had one keeper that he felt very strongly for the other one. He's like, cool, you're cool. Uh, and then I, I became his full-time keeper. So that, that got passed on to me. And 
it has since been passed on to other people as we will get to. Absolutely. Um, and then, so, so tell me about the other two, Yukiko and uh, Hazel. Oh, Yukiko and Hazel. Um, so they are our breeding pair. So we used to have an exhibit and a back holding breeding area and we would move the mail from the exhibit back to the breeding area every year. And we'd have this empty exhibit for like four months out of the year. And so we decided not to do that anymore. We decided to get, we got then that's when we got Carson and we're very fortunate that we actually get to have both of the, um, species or subspecies. Depending we're we're on going species are. now. I'm, 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 I'm okay. sticking with the geneticist here. I tell people to trust science too much. At first yeah. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And I was like, wait, I always say trust science. So mm-hmm. trust the science. Yes. Trust the science. So the two different species, we have the Steani and we have the Fulgens. Um, Carson is the Fulgens and uh, Yukiko and Hazel are the Steani or the Refulgens. Um, talking scientific names here. Um, and I apologize if I say them wrong. Um, but so Yukiko came to us from North Dakota, Red, uh, Red River. That a zoo? Red River. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been to that <laughs> one, but yes. Um, I believe that's the zoo he came to us from. But originally, Yukiko came to us all the way from Japan. So his original name was Take, um, which means bamboo. And he has, he's a very pro- prolific breeder. He has like, well, now with our two latest, I think he has 11 or 12 cubs out there. That's amazing. And that he was important amazing. because he came from Japan. So he was like yes. new genetics, right? Yeah. And yes. Sarah Glass was like, genetics. all right, boy, get to work. She put him to work. And you know what? He's old. So he's, he's <laughs> 15. He's 16. He's, he turned, he got his driver's license this year. Um, <laughs> and he is the oldest panda I have met. And I don't mean age wise. I have met the oldest panda yeah. in our country. I just right. mean that Yukiko is like a 200 year old wise man who is just so calm and so zen. I've, I've never experienced a panda like Yukiko. I feel like Yukiko could teach me things. Oh yeah. We call him the Zen master. Um, that's hilarious. Cause I didn't know that, but that's totally, yeah. I mean, he is. Yeah. Yeah, multiple and 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 I be, yeah, multiple uh, people call him the Zen master because um, he is he's the so we knew. Um, so before him, we had a red panda named Harold. This is the small world of red pandas. Harold went to Cincinnati because his genetics were really important. And we had Stellar who uh, we were able to get her pregnant before she turned six, before she kind of, you know, their reproduction kind of shuts down at six if they don't have them. Uh, but her baby didn't survive. They needed some babies from uh, his genetics. They really wanted his genetics. Uh, so they send them to Cincinnati where they're masters at such things. And he bred with Lynn. And Lynn had Hazel and Harriet. And so in the full circle, Hazel came to us um, and to breed with Yukiko. Uh, Yukiko came to us and I remember the first time I saw him, I cried, um, because Harold had like the clown, you know, the markings that kind of look like clowns. He was very handsome and he had these really, and Yukiko had the angry samurai markings, you know, he just had like the angry eyebrows and I just was like, you're not Harold. (laughs) Um, 
And he came down and he sniffed me and he did his Zen master thing. And I, then I was like, I am your student. Um, no, he literally was so cool. We were putting up a, uh, a mesh in between the doors so that we could give visual access to, uh, it was stellar at the time and we're drilling in the wall and he just comes and sits by us and looks like, what you doing? And I mean, there's all this racket and we just knew we were dealing with a totally different dude. He had seen things and nothing phased him. He's a cool guy. So true. He's the, he's the most. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that, I mean, you know, when we met them, Hazel, and we'll get to her in a second, but she's Mm -hmm. like the star. But every time Megan and I talk about it, it's always Mm -hmm. Yukiko. Yukiko is the one that like, you just sit there and you're like, oh, you are changing my life actively right now. It's, it's anyone listening to this who hasn't had this experience probably thinks we sound a little culty right now, a little nuts, but it is 100% the truth. Mm -hmm. Come, come to Seattle and meet Yukiko if you're, you're doubting me for a second. Um, uh, he was such a red, a special red panda that we knew that we could do, you know, kind of meet and greets like we did with you. So we do like golden moments. We, uh, we do a paid experience with them, but he was a perfect candidate. You know, he's an old guy. He's chill. Uh, he came to us, I think at nine years old and, uh, which is pretty old for a red panda, uh, to begin with. But, um, and, uh, Yukiko is a little overweight and had some like arthritis problems because his age. So uh, we're very fortunate that we kind of partner with one of uh, animal kind of rehab, physical therapy, uh, laser therapy people and our vet techs are trained in it as well. Um, but he was a perfect candidate to start kind of that program. And so we immediately started um, physical therapy along with um, laser therapy uh, pretty soon after he came just to help increase his mobility because we found out he was getting a one-year-old mate uh, and at 10 years old we wanted him moving well enough for a one-year-old mate. <laughs> Fair actually enough. What's to, yeah. Yeah, no, we that's, like, that's oh. real. That's real. Yeah. Um, and Hazel came into our life. Unfortunately, we had, we lost, uh, Stellar had lost a couple more babies. Um, uh, she just was not, uh, her babies were not healthy. So she just, um, uh, never could have a healthy baby. So we decided to retire her after her third, um, kind of loss. Um, it was really hard on her. Um, and then, uh, and then we lost her, um, a little while after that from, uh, I believe it was just congestive heart failure. Um, she was 11, 10 years old, which is an average lifespan for them. Um, and Hazel, and so Hazel came to us, uh, this young, I remember when she popped out, she was 5.5 kilograms of nothing but spunk. Um, and I thought, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this cute little thing? (laughs) Um, And as you know, her mom's Lynn, one of the most beautiful red pandas 
probably set only second to Hazel herself. Yeah, I've Hazel's. I've hung out with Lynn three times, and it is ridiculous. That yeah. is. Uh, the last time I went, I was there to say goodbye to Lucas because he was on his way off to San Diego. And all I did was hang out with Lynn because Lynn is Lynn. just perfection. And Lucas wanted to play with a ball. So, like, everyone won. But, like, yeah, it's crazy. I, I have to just interject here. Before I took over the Red Panda unit, or just as I had, we, we had had. So, Stellar, our Red Panda, was one of the largest ever recorded. And... Um, red pandas to breed, the females need to be in a certain weight range, but the weight range they advised for most females to be in, uh, was too small for, for, uh, stellar. Uh, but we, we measured her and we found the right weight range, but we still had a hard time. So I was very fortunate that I got to go to Cincinnati and spend a week with the keepers there learning how to breed red pandas, um, and we were successful that first year with her. Um, and so I'm always very grateful to the Cincinnati Zoo for letting me come and to Paul and Alyssa there. That How amazing uh, is Paul Reinhardt? Can we just like, oh just all the love? I mean, getting to do that episode with him was ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah. But no. just, yeah, what a cool Amazing dude. guy. Yeah. Amazing guy all around just made me feel, everybody there, it was, it's an amazing zoo. Uh, everybody there from the director down to uh, just the interns at the intern house made me feel so welcome. We're so inviting and spending time. Yeah. Getting to meet a Bactrin camel. So cool. So my cool. heart stopped and he like displayed for me and everything. It was just amazing. <laughs> and yeah, no, it was filled with, uh, learning experiences but also just really cool experiences i got to feed like a manatee while i was there and it was <laughs> it was a childhood fantasy being like created right in front of everybody nice um, so yeah shout out shout out cincinnati <laughs> such um, a dork <laughs> this is why you're my friend <laughs> i know it's true it's true um so anyway, Hazel, back to Hazel. Yes. The I don't queen. even the, the queen Hazel. Um, Hazel also uh, was amazing to watch because she was a spunky thing. As soon as we put her in with Yukiko, it wasn't breeding season. She attacked him. I separated him. I said, we're going to wait till breeding season. He's too old for this. <laughs> um and then breeding season came and it was amazing to watch her. She still was spunky and he had the hormones going. So he didn't care that she was so spunky like he, he did before. He was still pursuing her. But when it came to, uh, and, and you hardly ever catch red pandas doing it, but Hazel and Yukiko, that they were, I think one of my coworkers said it's hippie love over there. They're just <laughs> making love in the fields of grass. And yeah, for sure. Uh, she was so cute. She would run away from him and then look behind her and wait for his little, his little old butt to catch up to her. And then she would run a little further and then he would make it. He'd make his little and chase her around. And yeah, it was the summer. It was the winter of love. Um, and, uh, she was, yeah, she was successful. Uh, we put her in the same kind of physical therapy program so that we could uh, build up her abdominal um, 
muscles so that she could uh, have those babies really quick. Um, we trained her to stand on a uh, T-stand. We did radiographs the first year to confirm pregnancy. And we did, uh, yeah, so we did radiographs the first year, but we did ultimately get uh, some ultrasound equipment that was sensitive enough to look through their fur and everything because they have really thick fur. So her first cup, she popped them out like in two seconds. Uh, she's the procrastinating red panda. She doesn't build her nest until... Two hours before she's going to give birth. Um, and uh, Ela and Zaya were born. And that was my first two wonderful red pandas babies that survived. Um, and they were perfect in every way. So Ela, I called Sherpa forever. So if anybody sees that uh, because Ela was born and she climbed immediately up onto Hazel's head and was like, all right, I've arrived. While Zaya just went straight to nursing. She just was born and went like straight to nursing. Little Ela had to climb to the top of the mountain. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah. And we know the story. Uh, most people have followed along, but Ela uh, went off to uh, Toronto and gave birth to Adira yeah. there. And and Adira mm-hmm. almost didn't make it, um, but is now thriving with my buddy Suva. Um, and unfortunately, Ela had some issues and and uh, is no longer with us. Um, it happens, man. Yeah, yeah, it does. That was that was that was a hard one for me. And I had never even met her. I can't. I, I know that was hard for you. I, I you know, yeah. That was also one of those cool moments, though, where I know I got to get you in touch with Lisa, the the keeper at Toronto, um, mm-hmm. and like kind of through me, we were able to like make a connection, and you guys chatted a little bit about that and passed some messages along, and yeah. that that meant a lot to me, just being able to facilitate that. Oh, yeah, and they they're terrific. I mean, uh, it was great to see like the picture, and I know there's some Ila, Ila, Isla controversy. I think. So basically the name Ela came from one of our donors. Um, it's Sanskrit for earth. Um, it's, but I think there's pronunciations in other languages that are Isla and Ela and Ila and all of them. So all of them. I just remember right. that was such a big you're deal right. on that episode. <laughs> yeah. All uh, right. <laughs> Every single one of y'all were right. Um, and then what whatever. Are, and then what happened? Her to name Zaya? is Sherpa. Yeah, uh, Sherpa's the real name. I like that. But then, yeah, I, I I don't know what happened to Zaya. Zaya went Zaya? to, yeah, she went to the new zoo in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. So she lives there. He's with my buddy Jen So from Columbus now then. I mean, I, not as yeah. like a mating pair, but just like at the I think they place. have several pairs. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think she has a breeding rack, but I don't think that they, uh, you know, red pandas can have pseudo-pregnancies. Hazel's second uh, time with Yukiko was a pseudo pregnancy. Um, she she displayed everything that looked like a pregnancy. So you know who knows. Uh, Zaya may not have had babies because she had a pseudo pregnancy. Right. Their way it's real. It's yeah. It's really tricky. And Zaya was a big girl, so she was more like Yukiko size. So um, getting that that precise weight may be a little tricky. Or you know she may not be able to have babies, as we know. You know. Uh, Hazel is a great mom. Harriet was never able to really have successful births and they came from the same litter. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Um, And then so and now you guys have two cubs. Yeah. So uh, 
Everybody doubted Yukiko. And they told me Hazel's moving to Memphis. And I said, I bet you a hundred bucks she's pregnant. And <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> we uh, stuck that ultrasound wand and there were babies. And she had some of the earliest babies of the year. She had them in uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. I remember as soon as they, because we were shut down for the pandemic, I did like a lap around the zoo, like, Hazel's pregnant. Um, <laughs> because... They said it could be done, and I knew my boy had. I knew he had it. Um, those Zen sperm just last uh, longer. Those, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, Tien and uh, Zan were born. And uh, so, just so you know, Zan is, he's light. He's this weird coloration, but he is exactly like his father. He has the Zen. Oh, wow. And I knew it from very early because he's very cute. You know, most most red panda babies are wieners. They're like, they're always trying to get you. And he was very curious and would like stick his head out and then do like, give me like a look, like with his mouth open, like I'm here. <laughs> and if I put my hands up, he would be like pawing at him. Um, but he just has that Zen uh He's just kind of a marshmallow. I don't know how to explain it. He's just like a a big Zen marshmallow. Um, he likes to get on the door of the exhibit as you swing it open because he thinks that's real fun. So he'll <laughs> climb up on the door while you swing it open. And he's like, Wee! Um And then Tien is like mini me Hazel. I think I even sent you a picture where they were like, can you tell the difference? Because one's smaller than the other. It is crazy. The only difference, though, is that nobody ever gets Hazel's coloration quite right. She has dark rings with, she just has the darkest rings on her tail. Yeah. Um, so Zan's tail was almost white. Tien's tail was the normal coloration and then Hazel's tail. So if you got a picture of them all together, you had three different colorations. And I'm sure it's, they're all like recessive, except for Tien's coloration. Right, right. But yeah, no, it was, it's amazing if you ever see a picture of it. Just the color differentiation between the three of them uh, is amazing. Very cool. And so... So that is Panda, and we, we, we're already at like an hour five. This is going to be my <laughs> longest episode ever by the time we're done, because I ain't, I ain't skipping. I, I'm, I've been waiting for a year to talk to you, so, uh, you know. Um, but so the, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was transitions, because, you know, I'm transitioning to season two. And I remember uh, you and I had become buds and we, we text and stuff every once in a while. And um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you tell me that you're applying for a different position at the zoo. And yes. I, I mean, I understand logically that this is a thing that happens, but you're Carson's keeper and you, you Kiko and Hazel. Meanwhile, Hazel's already like she's off in Memphis. She's like, later be. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but like it just it blew my mind. And so I would love for you to tell me 
what your thought process was and how you dealt with that and the emotion of that. And like, do you still get to go and, and see, you know, the pandas and, and jags and the other animals? And like, talk to me about the transitional aspect of it. And then we'll actually get to, you know, your job right now. Oh, yeah. So it was a really uh, tough decision, but I'll be honest, one that I've contemplated for a long time. Um, and when I say long, I mean, you know, over the years, uh, I've, I've done this job for this particular unit for 10 years, which, uh, I, th- I feel like zookeepers often, um, move around and they do several jobs. Um, uh, they go to different zoos. They kind of transition a lot. Um, because that's just part of our career. There's not 20 zoos in a city. Um, and we're all kind of looking for that destination zoo. So, uh, but Woodland Park Zoo is a des- destination zoo. People, come <laughs> oh yeah, here it they is. stay here. <laughs> um, so the other option that you have is to either change careers completely, or kind of look within your own zoo um, of something new. I mean, every I would say all our animals like to experience new experiences. They don't. They wouldn't want to get like the same enrichment and the same food and the same every day. Um, and uh, there are definitely some keepers that want to stay working. They have a very great passion for, um, the animal that they work with and they want to stay there for their whole career. Um, and I certainly felt very fortunate. I loved my team. I loved, uh, the animals more than, you know, more than, you know, um, but it was getting to be a job instead of a passion. And um, and going to work, I just didn't feel ins- that inspiration, you know, that we all kind of crave. And I, my brain loves to learn new things. But I also started looking at my animals and wondering if I was doing them a favor by staying. Because they also like change. And they had to see, like, rotten old me every day. They're like, oh, here comes that lady again. Um, you know, I think this me, speaks more about how you, yeah, we, we've talked enough for me to know <laughs> this has more to deal with, uh, to do with, no. with your feelings about things than your animals, but, but you, I get, no, I do get what you're saying. Variety you get, is you good. Get the, variety is good. Variety yeah. is good. And it's good for our animals. You know, like if I'm the only person that can get Neela to shift in, that's no good. But if I can train Neela to shift and have everybody come in to shift her, and she has that experience and that exposure, then I've met her. I've done her good. I've done good by her. Of course. Right, right. Um, but there's also the aspect. It's very complex. I'm sorry. I'm a very complex <laughs> complex thinker. But Which is there's also the aspect. amazing, and I'm, I'm grateful yeah. for. There's also the, uh, the fact that I had gotten to experience all these great things, that there was tons of keepers out there that would die to have my job that would really like those experiences too. So I want new experiences. Other keepers want new experiences. My animals that I've cared for for 10 years are going to just, it's going to be so good for them because these new people are going to be bringing new ideas. And it finally kind of all came together in October. And I, I decided to make the plunge, the perfect, what I had been waiting for had opened up. Um, And I did. And at, um, at Willow Park Zoo, when there's a job opening like that, you apply to it with the rest of the world. Like you have to interview for it. You have to get it just like, 
uh, you would any other job. So I got, it had been 15 years since I had to do an interview. So it was really good for me in that aspect too. So, and it's a different role as well. So I had been the five day week keeper. That was I, my only job. And this was, this was a kind of a different role for me. So I was excited about it in very many, in a lot of ways, but it was scary. There it is. There it is. I was waiting for it. Yeah. It was scary. Um, it was scary, uh, because when you have something so good, it's really hard to risk losing that. Um, uh, I was very thankful that my, my managers encouraged me to do that as well. So, um, we can kind of get a complex sometimes like I'm the only person that can do this job. I'm the only person that can do this job. This job has been done by a bazillion people before you. You're not the only person that can do this job. It's just, you want to be the person doing that job. Right. And you don't know if what waits out there is going to feel the same. It's going to give you the same as Carson best friend, you know, like that's hard to give up. But, um, it was time that he made some new friends too. New friends for Carson is good. Um, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I make friends all over the zoo. And one of, <laughs> 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 and one of the places I was going was to be with an animal that I had made really good friends with in my free time, on my lunch breaks, uh, just an animal that I, I grew very close to. Um, and everyone, everyone who knows you knew that you were talking about animals because making friends with people <laughs> is clearly not a goal in your life. Like, we are friends, but, like, it's not something that you strive for daily. <laughs> not when there are, like, gorillas and stuff. <laughs> well, I unfortunately <laughs> relate to animals a little bit more than I do to people. Yeah. I like people, too. Mostly animal I mean, people, though. I, 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 I have my moments with people. <laughs> But so tell me about, tell me about this, this new friend that helped you transition. Yeah, a little, well, it started 10 years ago when I first became the Jaguar keeper, actually. Um, I had, I had worked uh, a little bit with primates in San Antonio. And then I had uh, a little bit of primates uh, worked at Woodland Park Zoo, but I never worked with great apes. Um, And I didn't know a lot about great apes. Um, and when I first started at the, the Jaguar exhibit kind of uh, back of the exhibit kind of butts up to the gorilla exhibit. So every day I would leave, I would leave through the path that took me in front of the gorilla exhibit. And I first saw a gorilla named Pete and Pete kind of always looked unhappy with life. I wasn't sure about him, you know, and at first he wouldn't even look at me and then he would kind of look at me and then look away. But as I passed every day, he got to where he looked at me longer and I started talking to the gorilla keepers and they said, why don't you just come and meet Pete? And I was like, what? What?" And he was the most, he was a Yukiko. He was the most gentle creature I had ever met. He just took this little peanut from me very calmly and gently. I'm sure he had his moments, but with me, he just, he was this calm a wonderful being that made me fall in love with gorillas. And um, 
they had uh, him and Nina were kind of foster parents, so they took care of the kind of orphaned or the the the, the group of kids that uh, had to be hand raised. Um, and in that group was a little girl named Nadiri. And Nadiri often like um, uh, Akinji would be off playing. And Nadir would come up to me and she would tap the window and I would sit with her and she'd try to stick stuff out for me. And I became very close with her. Years go by and Nadiri has her own baby, Yola. And Yola was partially hand-raised and partially raised by mom in this kind of really cool way uh, where they kept her in the gorilla unit around gorillas but they, they did the feeding with her until she was old enough to just climb on mom. And once she climbed on mom, she didn't let go. And the first time that she came, well, the first time I saw her, Nadiri came right up to me, sat that baby in front of me, and then did her thing like she always did with me, like try to stick sticks out. And I don't know what happened, but me and that baby connected. And it's history ever since. I'm not Yola's only friend but I am a great friend of Yola. Um, and she totally stole my heart. And um, f- for five years, I have wanted to work closely with her. And I got that opportunity. So um, I also um, was looking at kind of going back to my roots of bears. So uh, the opportunity was a relief keeper at in the Asian bear unit, which is Patis monkeys again. Yay! <laughs> Um, Asian small claw daughters. Oh no, they're not super cute. And <laughs> Asian bears who, well, are sloth bears. I'm sorry. They're Asian bears, but sloth bears who are amazing. Sloth bears are ridiculous. Um, I, I've, ridiculous. I've, I've gotten to spend some time with the ones at Columbus and it is stupid. How cool the they lips. are. Yep. I said, give me your lips. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I love them. I love them. And I love the team over there. And, uh, some of the keepers that I started out as a temp work over there. And so I was really excited to go back and work with them. And it just, it just was perfect. And I, so I applied and I interviewed and I was so thrilled when I got it. Yeah, you were. And you got to like yeah. transition to the job kind of slowly. Like you were learning there, but still hanging out with your pandas and maned wolves and all that stuff. And right. Like it was it was a good it, amount of time. Yeah, it was like, uh, it, well, then they had to hire for my job. And amazingly, it, it wasn't. Um, so the person that was the soft bear relief keeper ended up wanting my job, which is why that became available. And she applied and got my job. So that, that opened that up for me. Um, so she was, she was looking more for a five day week gig. She really kind of wanted that. Um, I would say, uh, there's a leadership, an unspoken leadership that comes with a five day week keeper. Um, there's a leadership kind of for every role, but that uh, you're kind of organizing everything and making sure everybody's trained on everything and making sure a lot of things are happening. And that's what she was looking for. She's, she got it. She got a good one and she's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So what are, what all are you taking care of now? Uh, for right now, I am taking care of gorillas and Asian, the Asian bear unit. I did in the interim because, 
Naughty had another baby right when I transitioned over. And uh, because it was COVID and uh, gorillas are susceptible to COVID. And there was this baby who Naughty, uh, and now she did, uh, once again, as we know with Yola, she didn't take care of her and the fact that she didn't nurse her. Uh, she didn't hold her right away. Um, there was an anticipation that they would have to do some work with this baby, and they did. But on day 11, uh, Naughty took her baby. They trained her to hold, and she just decided after that, on that 11th day, to just keep holding her. So uh, they've trained her to hold the baby up to the mesh and for feeding, so they are still able to feed, but the baby gets to be with mom 100% of the time. Whoa, that's crazy. That's so It's cool. amazing. But until Naughty took the baby, I couldn't tr- actually train in um, gorillas because it's just too many people with a baby out, you know, like you just, you don't want to risk it. Safety first. Um, so I got to learn hippos, which was really, <laughs> really cool. <laughs> nice. I never worked with a hippo and I was completely intimidated by them. Uh, but amazing, smart and amazing. And they know how to, they're like the entrepreneurs of the like if I walk by their exhibit, they're like, you fed me once. You could throw something in my mouth right now. <laughs> so, yeah, they're really cool. Um, and just that Savannah team, just I've never worked with Hoofstock a lot. And so just you kind of get to do a little bit of everything over there and learning how to work um, on the Savannah with, you know, different animals out uh, was a really cool experience. And so I get to work there when they're short staffed. But for the most part, I just cover those two areas. Nice. Very, very cool. And you're loving it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I am excited to go to work. Um, I'm excited by so much right now. And it was a really great change for me. So, you know, lesson learned. Change is good. I love it. I love it. Um, and so... Uh, that's a heck of a story. And, um, yeah. this is, this is, this is going to be a long episode and I'm very excited about Sorry. that. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm so happy. Thank you for sharing all of this. Um, generally at this time, I, I like to open up the floor. If there is anyone, anything or any conservation organization you'd like to talk about, give a shout out to, uh, you already mentioned Red Panda Network. We could go into a little more detail with them or do something else, whatever you want. I feel like I hear, you know, shout out Red Panda Network always. Any, like, solid community-based conservation is great. Uh, The Tree Kangaroo uh, Conservation Project from Throughwood Woodland Park Zoo is also another community-based. Basically, we're given money to uh, and our scientific knowledge to a community so that they can get the knowledge and get the education and get the medical care they need so that they can protect their species that live on their island. Um, and we do right. have, uh, we've already talked to to the same people that set up this interview officially, and uh, and there should be an interview happening about that, which I'm stupid excited about. So. It is one of the most, so it's the first of its kind. It's just, it's amazing. And you can go to the zoo website, um, zoo.org, and you can kind of track it down through there. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John again. 
And that website is zoo.org slash TKCP slash program. All right, back to the interview. But you can look at just the amazing stuff they've done with the used people. And not that it's not my story to tell, but uh, I did a paper. I, I went back to school for a while to try to continue to get my bachelor's degree in fish and wildlife. And I did a paper about it. Um, and one of the most amazing things that's happening is that they're doing now a uh, exchange program. The use when I don't know if it because of COVID if it still exists, but the use people and the Lumi tribe up here in Washington, uh, so that they can learn through um, their own tribal lands and their own tribal uh, conservation that has always happened. How they can help each preserve their land, their species, and things like that. Um, because that would be my, my next thing that I would say is look to your own communities. It's great if a red panda inspires you and you want to make sure you give to that, but look in your own communities to save what needs to be saved in here. Um, because we are a part of our habitat. We are a part of our ecosystem and we have to learn how to live where we are living in harmony with, uh, the ecosystem we live in. Um, and so often as humans, we pull ourselves out of that. We think we are not animals. We don't think we're part of our ecosystems. We're separated. We live in this concrete jungles and we, we need to get back to the basics of living in harmony with our own habitats. So look to your own local conservation. What can you do? See guys. They really are just nerdy hippies up in Seattle. <laughs> no, that is that is such a good real real thing to say. Yeah. Um and actually, you know what? I thought of I thought of two more questions that I had meant to ask that I just, yeah. you know. So, first of all, so the the, the last question that I had about the transition thing was uh-huh. do you still get to see any of the old animals oh, yeah. and like what is your connection like with with Carson now or with Yukiko now or something like that? Uh, yeah, so definitely uh, I remain as one of the trained people on that unit. So if they uh, are short-staffed people or say somebody calls out sick, um, I'm able to go over there and help out as needed. I worked it for 10 years, so um, even in a pinch, I can figure out, uh, you know, even if some stuff has changed, I can I can figure out the basics of it. Um, you know, I haven't... I. I see Carson every once in a while. Carson gets uh, what's known as the mucus poops, the blah, the panda blahs. Yeah, the blahs. Um, new people taking care of him. He gets them really bad, and he can get them consecutively. Uh, and he just looks like he's dying. I mean, he doesn't look like he's dying, but he just looks miserable, and he looks really sick. And then he has a mucus poop, and he feels better. He has had a mucus poop as big as my fist, and I'm not joking. I'll send you a picture of it. It's gross. <laughs> Yay. Um <laughs> I know it's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen Carson create. Um, uh, I definitely still uh, can go. I see the Jaguars very often cause, uh, I'm passing through there, um, to turn on heaters and, um, gorillas. All of our heaters are in the Jaguar pump house. So I get to, I go and I play with them. I get to be their friends now. Right. Instead of their, character, right, right. Get to, they get to be my Yola, you know, like what I go and do on my off time. And yeah, I've I've gone to see Yukiko a couple of times because, you know, he's my dude. Yeah. And like, Hazel is gone. 
Right, of course. Like, that's the thing, though. Like, if I came back to, to Woodland Park, I want to go see pandas again, obviously. But, like, I kind of want to go with you. Like, meeting yeah. a new keeper is cool and that's great. But, like, you're my, my Jamie Panda friend at Woodland Park. Like, come on now. Yeah. So well, that's good. I'm glad you have that. Yeah. They're very nice. And if I just even said I need a little panda time, she would invite me right over. That's uh, awesome. For sure. Very cool. Uh, and then this is going to be a kind of random question. I don't know if you know the answer, but how the heck did Woodland Park Zoo get zoo.org as their website? It's so smart. Every other place is like mud, town, description, blah, zoo.org. And you guys are just zoo.org. It's a win. So think really hard what exists here in Seattle. Microsoft. I was going to say Starbucks because I'm a coffee nerd, but also Microsoft. I'm also an Apple guy, so like I kind of forget they exist. But yeah, fair. Okay. So I believe that they got zoo.org because they're the first zoo to have a website. And I feel like it had to do with the fact that the story that I feel like I heard is because Microsoft is here. They somebody volunteered to come and get it all set up for them. But That's so cool. True that story is. Hey, yeah, it's good I, enough I, for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, I believe it's because they, it was actually the first the first website, so they they got to nab it. That's amazing. Very. Or cool. they were the first one to to nab it. And right. Like do WP Zoo or William Park Zoo. That's so Zoo. cool. Zoo.org. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's just like, oh, all right, neat. It's time now, don't you know? We come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rock Safari Poop Story. Hit me. All right. So I have a similar game that I play with people. It's called, what's the grossest thing that's been in your mouth? <laughs> Pause for dramatic effect. Um, so my poop story, poop story. was going to be the same story I tell for what's the grossest thing that's been in your mouth. But then something epic happened to me uh, the other day. And I thought this is, this is my poop story, poop story. that I get to tell. Um, I'll tell the other one at another time. Um, it's just due to the circumstances we're all in. Um, so we had gotten an email at work saying, you know, the zoo's going to fully open by this date. We really encourage everybody to get their COVID shots. I'm a lazy git, so I hadn't gotten my COVID shot vaccination because it just was too much work. And I was like, it, it'll fall in my lap somehow. But after I got this email, I thought, well, maybe I should sign up. Um, so I was thinking about signing up and I was working gorillas that day and I'm working and I'm cleaning and I see some poop. And so I bend over a fire hose and I pick up the poop. And when I stand up, I have the most giant superhero emblem of poop on my shirt <laughs> because somebody had pooped on the fire hose and then I didn't see that, but I just saw the, the remaining poop that had not made it on the fire hose. <laughs> so big poop, superhero emblem. I have to go to the store on my way home to pick up my cat Jack medication. And as I'm going down the medication aisle, I hear a call saying we have some extra COVID shots for anybody that wants them. So I go running because I was like, it's happening. My, <laughs> my moment's happening. And I see the lady. I was like, hit me up. Give me a COVID shot. Meanwhile, I have a giant poop stain on my shirt. <laughs> yeah, you do. 
Yeah, I do. So I sit there, and luckily she's a huge Zoo fan. She She's watched Carson's channel. She knows that I'm Carson's best friend, but I don't know this, and I'm like having to get my sweaty arm out of this shirt so that she can give me an injection, and I just smell like poop, and I'm like, I'm so sorry <laughs> that the one day that y'all have COVID shots, and I have poop all over me. So... That's my poop story. Poop story. I'm a poop superhero. That's amazing. The pooper hero. Woo. Woo. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I super appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Seriously, I'm sorry that it took me so long because I'm a lazy git. It happens, but eventually it fell into my lap. So there you go. (laughs) You're not even covered in poop this time. Oh, I can be. (laughs) Relatively quickly. (laughs) Have I mentioned I have six animals at my house? Mm, All of which are broken. Yes, except for one. And she's crazy. (laughs) And that's Jamie talking about herself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, we end it. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, that was obviously a lot of fun. Uh, So you can make sure that you check out Woodland Park Zoo, zoo zoo.org, which is still so cool. And they're also on social media at Woodland Park Zoo. And um, don't forget to check out at Carson the Red Panda, which we talked a lot about in this interview because Carolyn is awesome and deserves all the love and praise. And again, I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for being here and making this first year, first season uh, so successful, so much bigger than I could have dreamed of and and just so meaningful to me and, and I know to a lot of you. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back with the Zoo News on Thursday, and then I'll see y'all again in Season 2. And I guess the only thing that remains for Season 1 is to play the... Stiderk. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.